0: Please to the book of Philemon. The book of Philemon. We want to look at a few more verses here today. I tried uh, the best I could to see if we could finish here today and get through the last all the way to verse twenty-five, but that it didn't happen this week. So I guess I just had too much to say, and so we're going to need one more one more week. Although. Getting through uh, an entire book in five weeks is kind of new for me, even though that is only 25 verses. But anyway, uh, Philemon, beginning in verse 20, we're going to look at verses 20 through 22 then. So let's just read those together and then uh, we will come back and, and introduce this again. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, since I know that you will do even more than what I say. At the same time, also prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. Well, we're through the first 19 verses already in this very short epistle, and the primary issue in this epistle is forgiveness. That's really what we've been talking about the last uh, three or four weeks here. Not forgiveness like the world deems as appropriate for forgiveness, but biblical forgiveness. And there is a difference. In verses 1 to 3, we learn some of the overarching principles of forgiveness. First, we learn that believers are called to be a forgiving people. It's not an option for us. matter of fact, Scripture is very clear that we are to forgive others when they sin against us. We looked at passages like Ephesians 4.32 and Colossians 3.13. And we're not only told how uh, that, we're, that we're supposed to be a forgiving people, we're actually told how we're to forgive. And do you remember, it's at the end of each of those verses. We are to forgive just as God in Christ has forgiven you, isn't it? So we don't get to decide and put our own parameters and put our own strings attached to it and add our own conditions on forgiveness, No. We are to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. We don't want Christ to forgive us in a way where there's a bunch of strings attached, where it's very conditional. I wouldn't want to stand before the Lord and hope that all of my sins were forgiven. He wouldn't remember one of them, which is impossible for him to do. No, I'm glad that my sins are forgiven. My sins are as far as the east is from the west. I'm glad when I stand before the Lord that God sees the imputed righteousness of Christ when he sees me, he doesn't see all those dark spots of sin that I still struggle with every day. I'm glad that my salvation is based on Christ's faithfulness and not mine. Those are important truths for us as believers and ones that we need to make sure that we are uh, rock solid on. So we are learned that we are to be a forgiving people. Secondly, we learned that when we do forgive others the way that God calls us to forgive, that the world's going to struggle with that because they don't understand that. They don't understand how you could forgive so completely. They don't understand how you can forgive without conditions. How can you forgive but not forget? And so you're going to get some pushback when you go to forgive like that. And then finally, we learned that God will chastise those who fail to forgive biblically. It's not an option for us. We don't get to say, no, I'm not going to do that. We don't get to say, I'm not going to forgive you even though Christ has forgiven you. We don't get to say, I'm going to forgive you differently than Christ has forgiven me. And none of those things are an option for us as believers. We are to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. Then in verses 4 to 7, we, can, we, we saw what biblical forgiveness is supposed to look like. What are the character traits? What are the things that we, that should be demonstrated in a person who forgives biblically? And we saw in verses 4 and 5 that biblical forgiveness is demonstrated in our love for the Lord and our love for each other. That that's one of the hallmarks. That's, that's one of the criteria. You have to have this trait. You have to have this characteristic where you love the Lord and you love others. Matter of fact, I would posit to you that it's impossible for you to, to forgive biblically if you don't know the Lord because you don't understand the kind of forgiveness that you have received. How could you possibly then forgive others in that same way? So that is fundamental. You you have to be a believer to be able to forgive biblically. You have to understand that concept of how Christ has forgiven you, that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. He forgave you. When When he was on the cross, he said, it is finished. You need to understand those concepts in order for you to be able to respond with the type of love for others that biblical forgiveness requires. And secondly, we learned in that section, the other characteristic is that you have to prioritize the body of Christ and the glory of Christ. That you have to be able to put aside your hurt or whoever sinned against you or whatever happened in this conflict, and you have to say, you know, the body of Christ is far more important to me. The unity in the body of Christ is far more important than whether or not somebody stepped on my toes. That that is Priority that we're not to be like the world. We're not to just supposed to get mad and huff off and take our marbles and go home every time we get upset about something. We're to work through these things in a biblical way, in a biblical manner. We're, to, we're called to a different kind of forgiveness, beloved, not just like the world. We're not to take the world's kind of forgiveness with all of its conditions and all of its, all of its uh, criteria and then bring those into the church. We're to have a different kind of forgiveness. matter of fact, the world, our forgiveness is to be so different from theirs that they're scratching their head wondering how that's even possible. That's the standard we have for forgiveness, not the standard that we want, not the worldly standard that we want to impose and then try to get everybody else to get on board with. That's not what we're called to do. We have a different standard. It's actually a higher standard. And then finally, in verse 7, we saw the biblical forgiveness encourages the entire church. We're going to see that again today from a little different angle. But what a joy it is when we learn to forgive each other like that. The love, the joy, the in fellowship together, knowing that nothing will separate us, that we're going to stay together and work through whatever it is. There's a there's a. There's a sense of belonging, a sense of koinonia, that word again shows up again and again in Paul's letter. And that fellowship he's talking about, is things that we partake together in. You're not talking about a, a potluck dinner here, he's talking about we share our lives with each other to the point that we care what's going on in each other's lives. That sense of community is so needed in our world today. It's unbelievable how separated we are encouraged to be. But that's not what the church is, my friends. The church is a community of believers who are bonded together in Christ. So the stage was set then, beginning in verse 18, for Paul's appeal to Philemon, which consisted of three parts. And we've looked at two already, and we find them again in verses 8 to 19. So let's just refresh our memory again. Beginning in verse 8, Paul begins to, his first appeal to Philemon to forgive Onesimus with an open heart. He said, I want you to forgive him with an open heart. You have to have an open heart. If you're going to, have, if you're going to demonstrate biblical forgiveness, you're going to have to open up your heart in love, on behalf of love. The love he's referring to, is not Philemon's love for Paul, but his love for God and his love for God's people. And what kind of love is that? It's agape love. It is the sacrificial love. It is the love of the will. It's the love that sets aside my personal rights instead of acting, acting instead for Christ's glory and the welfare of others instead of for my glory and my welfare. Paul knows Philemon is a man who's already demonstrated his love for the Lord and for his people. But now he makes an appeal for biblical forgiveness on behalf of a specific fellow believer. As a matter of fact, a new believer, Onesimus. And from the moment that Onesimus was saved, everything changed between Paul and Onesimus. But Paul welcomed him as a brother in Christ, and now he wants Philemon to do the same. He said, listen, before he was just a runaway, fugitive, felon, according to the Roman law, just a guy. But God providentially brought him into my path. But now he's not just a guy. He's not just another human being I bumped into. God providentially put him in my space, if you will. And now he's a brother in Christ. And that dynamic changes everything. Everything. When we become saved, it changes everything. And so now you have two saved people, again, both who were led to the Lord by the Apostle Paul. So they're brothers in the Lord, and they're brothers, and they both have the same, if you will, spiritual earthly father, right, in Paul, who has both led them both to the Lord. And then finally he says, listen, I want you to have an open heart because of your love for for the Lord and your love for his people. I want you to have an open heart because of your love for Onesimus, who's now a fellow brother in Christ. And then finally he says in verse, uh, whatever it is, 8, 9, 10, somewhere in there, uh, have an open heart on behalf of the gospel for the sake of the ministry. This is where forgiveness really begins, isn't it? It starts by opening up our heart and letting the person who has sinned against you, whether they have or not, whether you perceive they sinned against you, and then forgiving them the way that Jesus has forgiven you and continues to forgive you. That's really the first step. If you think of a stair step, the first one is I have to open up my heart to the possibility of forgiveness. I have to say I love the Lord so much. I love his people. If the love Lord if the Lord loves them. I love them. But this is my brother and sister in Christ. And so I'm going to love them, even if it's awkward at first or even if I have to work through some things. How am I supposed to love them? Incidentally, again, without strings, without conditions, without a grudge. I welcome them with an open heart and love them with the sacrificial love of the will they got by love. The love that says, I choose to love you because it glorifies God. I choose to love you. I choose to forgive you because I understand how much I have been forgiven in comparison. So Paul made his first appeal to Philemon based upon Onesimus' new relationship with the Lord, that Onesimus is now our brother in Christ. And that means the dynamic between Philemon and Onesimus has changed. So Paul wants him to open up his heart, but he's not done making his appeal. He now moves to the next phase of the appeal he wants him to not only open up his heart, but he wants him to open up his arms. He's saying, listen, it's great that you opened up your heart, but now you need to take some action here. You have to open up your arms as well. But before he gets to that appeal in verses 15 and 16, he makes, kind of takes an interesting little sidestep, doesn't he? He says, maybe, maybe this wasn't all by chance. Maybe in a city of 10 million people, the fact that you crossed my path as a runaway and happened to be led to me to the same person that led the guy you ran away from to Christ, that maybe, just maybe, God's hand was involved in this somehow. Maybe it wasn't just a freak of nature that, in a city of the size of New York or Chicago or whatever that we just bumped into each other in the same spot. And so maybe, he says, and he kind of puts this out here, maybe that temporary separation between you, Philemon, and Onesimus was so that you would have an eternal bond together, that you would be together forever. So the time that you're separated, which is what you're focused on right now, was all part of God's providential plan. Maybe, perhaps. Perhaps what you perceived as a loss is actually a great gain to you. You lost what you thought was a worker or a slave, but you gained a brother. Maybe in God's economy, this wasn't such a bad thing. Then beginning in verse 17, he makes his appeal to open up his arms, and he uses that word again. It's a derivative of koinonia, koinonon. It means partner, fellowship. It means sharing our lives together. Paul uses it a lot in his epistles, and especially here. Finally, his last appeal to open up his arms to Onesimus, Paul offers to even pay the debt. He says, listen, if the only stumbling block is what he owes you, Paul says, I'll pay it. I know I'm in prison right now, but I know the people supporting me, and they are faithful, and so I will have some money, and I will pay the debt. If that's what's going to take for you to open up your heart and open up your arms to Onesimus, then I'll pay the debt. Now, this isn't Paul's debt to pay, is it? But he does add this little kicker in in verse 19. Not to mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well. Now, you could read that and think, wow, that's kind of a snarky comment there, Paul. What's the point of that? But what is he saying? He wants to remind Philemon, hey, you're the slave with the great debt that God has forgiven you. Remember that when we first started this series? Remember the ungrateful debtor, the ungrateful slave, right? The ungrateful servant. Just like Christ, he, he forgave you a debt that was unpayable. You won't forgive this guy, a mere pittance in comparison. He's reminding him, he's very, being very Christ-like. Here Paul is. So Paul has appealed to Philemon to have an open heart and welcome Onesimus back as a new brother in Christ. He's appealed to Philemon to have open arms and to welcome Onesimus back as he would Paul, a partner. And he even offers to pay the debt owed if that's what's necessary. But now after appealing to Philemon to have an open heart and open arms, he makes his final appeal for Philemon to have an open mind. That's our focus this morning. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer, asking to bless our time together in his word. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, again for this very challenging series, 25 short verses. And yet, Lord, we find ourselves questioning whether our hearts are forgiving or not. Whether we forgive the way we have been forgiven or if we have adapted worldly principles into our forgiveness. It's challenging for us, Lord, because... Every fiber in our body wants to retaliate or give justice or, or make sure other people know not to ever do that again to us. But we're called to a different standard as believers. And so, Father, I pray that as we walk through this text, that becomes even more and more clear. And that we will be known as a forgiving people. That we'll love one another the way you love us. And we'll forgive one another the way you have forgiven us. Lord, bless our time together in your holy word, we ask in Christ's name, amen. So let's look at verse 20 here again. Paul, after saying all of that, hey, I'll even pay the debt. And then in verse 20 again, as we read earlier, yes, brother, he says, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Let me benefit from you. So our our point number one in your notes here this morning, an open mind towards biblical forgiveness is a blessing to others an open mind towards biblical forgiveness is a blessing to others now in your bibles there you might want to circle the words me and my in verse 20 because they're emphatic in the greece in the greek text what do i mean by that that's where the emphasis is that's what he's that's the point of the verse paul is saying here Let me, Paul, benefit from you, Philemon, in the Lord. Refresh my heart, Paul is saying, in Christ. That's a little different than what he's been saying before. He's been talking about Philemon and Onesimus and so on, and how everybody else has been blessed by Philemon and his love for others, and how Onesimus will be blessed, and how Onesimus will bless Philemon. But now he says, let me now have a little partake in this blessing. Back in verse 11, remember Paul did that little word play where he said on the name Onesimus, which means useful or profitable. He said, you know, he used to be useless, a little play on his name, useful. But now he's useful to me. Well, that word also means profitable or beneficial. And so now he's saying... He, uh, you know he said back in verse 11 he used you know at one time he was useless or unprofitable or not beneficial to you but now he is but here he does the same thing he says let me be blessed or let me profit from you it's actually a derivative of the name Onesimus again he's now using the other side of it and saying hey now for me also let me be blessed let me profit from from your actions. How, what does he mean by that? He's telling Philemon, if you forgive Onesimus, not only will he benefit you and him, but Paul says, I will benefit too. Now, how does Paul benefit by Philemon forgiving Onesimus? In what way is this profitable for Paul? Exactly how is Paul supposed to be blessed? He's not talking about financial gain here. Matter of fact, he just offered to pay for something he doesn't owe. He's not talking about material gain here. What is he talking about? Well, the benefit there is explained in our text, in Christ. Paul says, I am going to gain such spiritual fruit from your actions. It is going to bless me. It is going to be profitable for me to see you responding biblically. Paul lived on spiritual truths. They were the lasting treasures in his life. And so Paul asked for a spiritual response from Philemon. What's the spiritual blessing he is going to receive? I would tell you, joy. I think he's talking about joy. You know, as a pastor, one of the greatest joys that I have is when I see the Lord working in your heart and growing you in the Lord. I can't tell you the joy I receive when you respond biblically, when you answer biblically, when you take actions biblically, when I can see the Lord working in and through you in your lives, I get great joy. It's probably one of my greatest pleasures as a pastor, greatest benefits, if you will. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. Keep your place here in Philemon, but let's go to Philippians chapter 2 because Paul... Talks back there again about a joy that he has, right? He's encouraging them. Philippians chapter 2, verse 2. Remember in the beginning he said, Therefore, or since there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection or compassion, then in verse 2 he says what? Make my joy complete. Or perfect, by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in the same spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. (coughs) That's exactly what he wants Philemon to do here, isn't it? He said, I know you've been wronged. I know he even took material things from you. But what joy I will have if you respond biblically. I will be blessed by your response. He wants Philemon to think beyond just himself. He wants him to regard others, specifically Onesimus and the church of Colossae as more important than his personal Response. He wants them to seek unity and love and fellowships. He says, if you forgive Onesimus, you will benefit me spiritually by giving me great joy. But notice he also uses the word refresh. He says, refresh my heart in Christ. Well, how will Philemon refresh Paul? Well, here again, in Christ, he's talking spiritually. Paul asked Philemon to exercise one of his strengths, which is encouragement. Back in verse 7, remember, he said, he praised him for refreshing the hearts of the saints. Here he asked for him to refresh his heart. That same word, refresh and heart, are in both texts. But one time he said, I'm, I know you've already been doing this to the church. People tell me all the time of your great love for the Lord and your love for the church. Now he's saying, refresh my heart by the actions that you'll take. It's now Philemon's turn to be useful to Paul by doing for Paul what he's apparently very good at for everybody else, which is refreshing people's hearts. Now, might I add that Paul does not want Philemon to obey just because Paul said so. He doesn't want him to just do it out of compulsion. He wants Philemon to make the right decision biblically. He wants him to make his decision not simply based on what's best for him, but also for Onesimus and the church. And he wants Philemon to understand the ramifications of that if he does it well and if he doesn't do it well. If Onesimus was welcomed back as a Christian brother, Paul would be refreshed spiritually from the heart because of the transformation that occurred in Philemon's heart and in Onesimus's heart and undoubtedly in all of the churches who are going to read this letter. Because they're going to say, how could you forgive a fugitive? You have complete power over this person. How could you possibly forgive them completely? How could you not demand some sort of recompense? How can you forgive and not get your pound of flesh back? Because this this letter that he's that Philemon is reading right now is going to be read to the church and it's going to be read just like every one of the other epistles. It's going to be passed to every other church around there. And what do you think the first thing they're going to ask? Yeah, so what did Philemon do? Did he forgive him? So. Just as the Colossian believers experienced Philemon's refreshment through his life and encouragement, Paul would experience spiritual refreshment as well. So point number one, an open mind towards biblical forgiveness is a blessing to others. Point number two, an open mind towards biblical forgiveness entails going beyond what is asked. Notice he's not talking just about being obedient to Paul. He already said in verse eight, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, force you to obey just because I'm the apostle, right? And he said, I don't want you to do that. I want you to make the right decision on your own. He's saying, I know because of all of your godly characteristics that you demonstrate consistently in your life, all of those things necessary for an open heart, your love for God, your love for the believers, your love for the unity of the church, your love to see God glorified, your love to see the gospel proclaimed. I know those things are evident in your life already. And because of those things, I am confident you will do the right thing and that you'll obey God and forgive Onesimus. But then he says this in verse 21, I'll know, I know you'll even do more than what I say. Well, how would you like that as a little kicker? He doesn't say, I want you to forgive him as Christ has forgiven you. I know in my heart, you'll do more than that. You won't just do the minimum requirements you'll go be you'll go above and beyond that many people read this verse and think Paul is talking about setting Onesimus free but we have got to be careful not to read 21st century cultural norms into first century biblical texts the context of this letter is not a polemic against slavery but rather a letter about the need for forgiveness what Paul says when Paul says i know that you'll do even more than what i say i believe he means You're going to respond to Onesimus with even more grace than what's necessary. You're going to go above and beyond what's required. You're not going to just begrudgingly say, fine, fine, I forgive you. Marry on, move on. Stay out of my life. That's not what he's talking about here. Maybe he anticipates Philemon acting like the father and the prodigal son. Running to him with open arms and welcoming him back in. Maybe he's thinking of the letter he wrote to the Ephesians or the Colossians. Ephesians 4.32, Colossians 3.13. He said, I know you won't just do the minimum and forgive him. I know you're going to forgive him like Christ has forgiven you. Maybe he's saying... You're not going to only welcome him back and forgive him. You're going to use him in the ministry like I have been using him here. While the possibilities are endless. But one thing is for sure, Paul is confident that Philemon will not only forgive Onesimus, but he'll go beyond what is expected. Not under compulsion, not out of fear, but because the character of Christ is consistently demonstrated in his life. Now, I want you to think about that for just a second. When we are wronged, my friends, do others know that you will respond with grace? Is that the first thing in their mind? If I sin against that person, I know they'll be gracious. I know without a doubt in my mind that they will be gracious. When we're confronted about the possible wrong towards another, are we defensive? Or are we gracious? Do we seek forgiveness, seek unity, seek to glorify God? Or are we angry and hurt and bitter and resentful? Those are hard questions, aren't they? They're difficult because they pierce us. And we start running through our minds about all the times we've been angry about something and say, oh, do what?" when others think of me, do they think, boy, I know I, I know I did something or said something, but I know he'll forgive me. I know he's gracious. He'll forgive me. And I know that if I just let him know that he did this, he's probably completely unaware that he did that. But if he did, I don't think he would intentionally do that. But if he did, I know he'll earnestly seek forgiveness. I know he'll do that humbly, not holding a grudge, not with bitterness in his heart. I pray that if I've wronged someone unintentionally, and I have, or I've sinned against someone else, and I have, that in either case I've responded with love. That I will respond with humility, esteeming my fellow brother or sister, their needs in Christ is greater than mine. And that others are confident of my response even before I've responded because they know the way that I live my life. That's what Paul is challenging Philemon. He's saying, I'm confident you will respond this way because that's who you are. This isn't something you have to put on. This is who you are. What greater praise, my friends, is that when others know you will act and respond Christ-like before you even do? I pray that's your heart's desire as well. Point number one, an open mind towards biblical forgiveness is a blessing to others. Point number two, an open mind towards biblical forgiveness Forgiveness entails going beyond what is asked. Point number three, an open mind towards biblical forgiveness expects God to answer our prayers according to his sovereign will. Let's not forget as Paul's writing this, where is he at? He's in a Roman prison or or at least under house arrest, one of those. Some assume that Paul is threatening here in Philemon that he's saying, uh, you know, uh, at the same time, prepare a room for me. like hey, if you don't do it, expect me to follow up and make sure you did it there, bucko. Now, he's not saying that at all, is he? I want The tone of the letter makes this highly unlikely because if he wanted to exercise apostolic authority, he could have done it easily throughout. But repeatedly, he keeps saying, "I'm not, I don't want you to make this decision because I told you to do it. I want you to do it because it's the right decision to make. So what does he say? He says, He he says, I hope that what? Through your prayers, I will be given to you. See, Paul understands the sovereignty of God works its purposes through prayer. John MacArthur writes this. Prayers are the nerves that move the muscles of God's omnipotence. Prayer is the muscle that moves God's all-powerfulness. Prayer is not just an exercise in futility because God's going to do what he's going to do anyway. Prayer is the means by which God does what he's going to do. James 5, 16, the prayer of an effective, the prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Paul knows that God's hand has been providentially at work here. He's already said that in verses 15 and 16. And his hope is that God's will is for him to be out of prison soon and to visit Colossae, not to check up on Philemon, but because he loves him. He's a spiritual son. And to see his wife, Aphia, and their son, Aristarchus, to visit the church at Colossae, the church that Epaphras has planted, and see how they're growing, and encourage them, and be encouraged. But he demonstrates his confidence in God's goodness and grace, as well as how effective the power of prayer is. To Paul, prayer is not some obligatory exercise, my friends. It is the means by which he talks with God and knows which way to go. His confidence for release is not because of some political maneuverings, not because he's got a really great lawyer, but because he has friends a thousand miles away that are praying for him. That's his confidence. Now, in the last verse there, in verse twenty two, it should be noted that the U in this verse is plural, where the U previous was singular. What does that mean? It means that when now he's not just talking to Philemon. Now he's now he understands that everybody in the church is going to be hearing this. My friends, very few letters show the heartbeat of fellowship as the as the letter of Philemon here. Because regardless of what Philemon decides, Paul wants him to know, I still love you, brother. And even if you're struggling through this, I still want to come visit. I still want to be there. I still want to fellowship with you. I still want to help you. I still want to pour into you. I still want to be blessed by you. I want to encourage your hearts the way you encourage others. And I know this is a difficult decision, but I want to be there for you. And I would be there right now if I could, but I can't. I'm in this Roman prison. But I expect to be out soon because I know you're praying for me. What a wonderful thing to say, isn't it? Paul doesn't say, well, unless you fulfill this request, I'll never visit you again. No, he says, well, I can't wait to see you. Paul had prayed for Philemon in verse 4, and he's sure that Philemon is praying for him, verse 22. My friends, as we close here today, I want you to just think about that for a second, okay? We have an open heart. That's where it all begins. And we have to open our arms and let this process begin of forgiveness. And then we have to open our minds and know that God hears our prayers. If you're in the midst of a conflict and you're not quite sure how to handle that, might I encourage you to go to the Lord in prayer and seek his direction and say, Lord, my heart's really struggling here in this conflict. I know what your word says, but, boy, my my heart wants to do something else over here. And I know that's not right, but that's what I'm experiencing right now is this tension between these two. So, Lord, will you direct me? Will you put people into my life to encourage me through your word? Will you help me in this process as I'm reading your word? Will you illuminate those texts for me that I need to hear so that my heart will be ready and open to forgive the way you have forgiven me? Don't skip this exercise of prayer in the process. You're going to have to open your heart. You're going to have to open your arms and you're going to have to open your mind. For, for real biblical forgiveness to, to begin. I hope that's your heart, my friends. I hope others know you will respond with grace. And they know that you will seek unity and forgiveness. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, again for the last few verses here. In this text, we have just a little bit more as we'll wrap up and put our concluding thoughts here, Lord. But I thank you, dear Lord, for the, the lessons you've already taught us. We like to consider ourselves and think of ourselves as very forgiving and gracious people. But when we compare it to the standard that you have provided for us, Lord, we often fall short. Help us to be known as a forgiving people, a loving people. Does that mean at times that someone may take advantage of us? Yes, it probably does. But think about all those, Lord, I pray we will think about all those lives that will be touched when they see Christ-like love and Christ-like forgiveness demonstrated in our lives. May you use that powerfully in and through us, Lord, for your honor and your glory. We ask in Christ's name, amen.